I, I believe it's paid dividends that, you know, the campaign undoubtedly generated so much awareness and revenue and tax revenue to our to our great state. I'm honored to be able to travel for, with our company and I and I travel to a lot of states and I have yet to go to a state that doesn't say, gosh, I saw a pure Michigan ad. And how much fun is that? What a beautiful state you live in. And it's and it's really all because of that. We've all benefited benefited from the campaign. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Okay, Emily. Justin. We're back because there's no better way to start a podcast. And uh, I'm just going to start riffing randomly before we get into segments and see what just happens. All right. Like, okay. I looked it up. It's February 23rd on this recording day. Do you know what today is? Friday. Well, that's also true. National Dog Biscuit Day. Do you have a reaction wow. to it being that? You're, you're a dog mom. You have a coffee mug to say. So uh, talk to me about National Dog Biscuit Day. What does it mean to you? How does your family celebrate? I have two dogs. We've talked previously that I don't consider myself a dog mom anymore, that I have abandoned that that rhetoric. Have you abandoned your dogs? Not yet. Hmm. I, don't, I didn't know that, so thank you for sharing that. It sounds to me like my dogs are going to be eating too many biscuits and throwing up this weekend. Mm, yeah, and, that's how they like to celebrate. It's also National Banana Bread Day. I would like to say you also have a dog, so. I do. And she had been with my in-laws for about a week because we were in Chicago. So you have abandoned your dog. Dog is back. It was great. We went for a three-mile walk yesterday. Great, oh. great way to get back with the dog. Banana bread, are you in or are you out? In. I, I make banana. a great banana bread. How ripe, how brown are the bananas when it's go time? Like, very. Like disgusting. Yeah. Like they should have been thrown out three days ago. Yeah. Interesting. That's probably the sweetest kind. Maybe this, and this will be the last one. Thankfully. A little more relevant. Oh, that would be thankfully. <laughs> this is a great way to start a podcast. Maybe more relevant to the industry. It's National Skip the Straw Day. Okay. <laughs> Are you triggered? Yes. Yes. Why? Talk to me. I, the whole straw concept, like Save the Turtles, was just some elaborate PR campaign that was successful. It's the same thing as when... Well, when I was a kid and you had to cut the the plastic things because it was going to trap the dolphins. Yep. It's the same thing. I think it's ridiculous. Well. Uh, and I know that's a hot take. It has changed the, the, the usage. I'm not a big straw guy anyways. I think you look weird oh, drinking really? out of a straw anyways. I'm just straight from the cup. Oh, I'm Any a huge straw person. And hot, cold, don't need a straw, don't want a straw. I do dislike the paper straws. They're, oh, yeah. When they start melting into the, the drink. Makes no sense. But I in. will say I use a lot of reusable straws because I am a straw person. Those terrify me. Like the metal ones, like they're going to uh, just a terrible accident feels like it's forthcoming <laughs> with one of those things. Just keep me away. Or if they're not clean. Yeah. Well, there's that too. Okay. What a fantastic way to start. We should do national whatever it is day every single time we do a recording because what else... One thing we're good at is starting off the podcast. Always. It's always a, a great way to start. You would say we're leaping into it, huh? Pretty oh. good one right there. Because it's a leap year, February 29th coming up less than a week away. Next Thursday. I'll only get it every few years. We're shutting down. Day off? Not happening. 
I tried. We as if there aren't enough holidays around, and they just keep there creeping aren't. in. Just if you fast forward a hundred years, are there more holidays than work days total that are just accepted? Holidays. Well, there's norms? a difference between a holiday and a, a holiday where the office is actually closed. Well, yes, but it's always a creep. It's Let's talk about four-day work weeks. Mm. Well, moving on. <laughs> Current events segment. Hit us. Pineapple Express. Yeah, a few things here. Uh, Atwater Brewery. Have you Shocking. heard of it? You were there recently, right? <laughs> yes, I'll be there next Friday. No, two Fridays, March 8th, to kick off Women's History Month with our Detroit Women in Hospitality Leadership Detroit chapter. Well, the brand new chapter in Detroit. It's up and running. It will be nice. March 8th. But the former owner of Atwater Brewery acquired Lansing Brewing Company last week Just or earlier this week, which was big news. Nice. Lansing Brewing Company. That's a, that's a big space and good beer. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like they're expanding some of their offerings into the retail space. So excited to see what comes there. What else do you have for us? Well, I see it on the sheet, and you're going to have to lead this part. Uh, you've, of course, you've got a Taco Bell marketing calendar segment here. So hit us. What is your favorite Yum Foods marketing <laughs> event of the coming year, and why must it? Why is it chat-worthy? Did you see any of this coverage on X, formerly known as Twitter? No. Oh, okay. Well, our friend, Jonathan Mays, I think attended the event. I saw his Twitter coverage on it. They hosted a Live Moss Live in Las Vegas two days before the Super Bowl and unveiled its entire marketing calendar for the year, which is not something that companies usually do. Uh, but they talked about everything coming up for the year. Basically, you've seen Apple. You're familiar with Apple, the company products. I don't use it, but I'm familiar with it. They usually would do like a big lecture when they would launch a new product. So Taco Bell essentially took that approach to this and you're making faces as you read through their products. So most tweet-worthy products on their menu, a lot of chicken, a lot of extensions of previous items. They have chicken nuggets, which... Yeah, okay. I mean, listen, eh. you say, yeah, but nacho fries? So you said, why are they having fries? Like, when they brought on nacho fries... Sure. And I'm not a... I don't go to that much fast food. Nacho fries are amazing. <laughs> and my kids love nacho fries as well. So, but hit me with this one. Mountain Dew Baja Blast. Is that gelator, gelator? Oh, gelato? That was just a typo. Oh, that's a typo. <laughs> okay. That makes more sense that it's gelato and not gelator. gelator. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a He-Man character. But All still right. sounds pretty gross. Ice cream chocolate taco, the Cheez-It Crunch Wrap with a Cheez-It that's 16 times the size of a normal Cheez-It inside of a Crunch Wrap, <laughs> seasoned with beef, nacho cheese, and other toppings. All right, I'm intrigued. Let's, we'll get that, and we'll Confused, get the, the oil uh, Starbucks drink. Just have a day. Oh, with no straw. Yes, correct. So yeah, I thought, I mean, listen, I like their marketing. I think it's interesting. I'm trying to get their marketing guy on the podcast. So if he's listening right now, I've been reaching out. Uh, well, let's we'll have a conversation with our booking agent, which I believe is you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, I I just think it's interesting. I think that smaller operators, this might be a stretch, but I think there's ways that smaller operators could take these these big concepts. You're not going to host an event to unveil your menu, but can you do a Instagram live from you know your restaurant and unveil your new menu items for the summer? I just think there's ways to incorporate these big splashes into people who are actually listening to the podcast. Maybe could take some ideas from it. Take the big and make it relevant to the small independent. That's all I'm trying to do. Okay. 
I like that. I like that. Well, you got, I mean, listen, you, it's a f- consumers are fickle, especially when it comes to what they, how they want to experience restaurants. So you better be willing to adapt and change quickly. Otherwise, you often suffer painfully the demise of, of your establishment. All right. Can we <laughs> kick it to it me? light. <laughs> last, last time around, we quickly hit and summarized both the restaurant industry trends report from the National Restaurant Association and the hotel trends report from AHLA. I had a chance to look at some of these numbers. I want to go a little deeper on the restaurant one uh, this week because some of these things are fascinating. So we hit some of the headlines, yep. some of the like jaw-dropping, just big macro numbers, and I think they're interesting. So, I mean, right, we hit on $1.1 trillion in sales and wrapping your head around over a trillion dollars of industry sales. First time we'll hit a trillion is just still, I've seen this number now for a couple of weeks. It still sits like, it's just a, it's a huge, it's a huge number. Would you say it hits different? Mm, no, it, I would never say that. Okay. I'm not hip with the kids. Uh, over 1 million outlets. So, so first time over a trillion dollars, uh, over a million outlets. First time we've, we've hit over a million and then almost 16 million employees. I just, the size and scope of the industry is massive. And it's just sort of taken for granted, I think, often, but that's it's important to put those macros out there. And so those were the big ones that 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 are the uh, shocking things out of the gate. But I, you know, I I wanted to go do a little bit of, of deep dive. You have not you have not seen these. You don't even know I'm gonna focus on or hit on them. I want to get some of your reactions because these are some of the things that that hit me and I thought were were interesting. So you, you break it down by different segments. One of the segments, of course, is the sales and economic forecast. And we, we just talked about the, the macro numbers. I just think it's interesting the, the degree of to which the percent of operators who said these following items were significant or a moderate challenge for their employees. 98% labor costs. To say 98% of anyone on anything ever is almost impossible, right? And so when basically every operator is saying labor costs are a problem, I mean, you would expect that number to be big, but 98 is just, that tells you how fast we've risen and how challenging it's been for, I don't care what segment you're in. I don't care if you are Taco Bell or if you are the small independent diner down the street. That It's, it's hit everyone, 98%, big number. Yep. And inflation is the same. And right there, I mean, these all things, these are all, th- these three categories work together. So labor 98, inflation 98, and food costs 97%. Wow. Yeah. Those are big numbers. And those are concepts that we've been talking about for years, but to have the the data attached to it is interesting. Just to see that it's it's hit hard or different if you'd, if you'd prefer. I don't, but some do. Every single operator across all spectrums of the industry, 97% hitting on food costs, uh, saying that that is a moderate or significant challenge. And that's what we've seen. Right? We've reported on inflation being a problem overall in the economy, but food has been a larger percentage, dramatically outpacing inflation overall. And, and more recently, restaurant inflation dramatically outpacing even food at home inflation, right? So grocery uh, inflation. And so that's been a challenge for the industry and you see it, uh, you see it and you see it coming through because of the price point increases. 51% of operators report a decline in customer traffic in 2023. Wow. So fewer people coming out. Your sales are obviously going to be up. You've had to raise prices right. uh, to match, right? These 98% saying that labor costs, inflation and food costs are, are a significant or moderate concern that's starting to push people away. So that leads to some some concerns, right, within the industry. Yeah, kind of creates a 
perfect tornado. Yeah, but there's 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 plenty of positive signs. I mean, we are the locations are still on the net growing, and 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 the industry continues to expand and and grow not evenly. And we're going to get to that in in a little bit. I thought that was interesting. Just to set the tone really quickly, I just noticed that you have like post-it stickers and notes and just stacks of paper in front of you of how you've analyzed this. And I, I've been given no preview of what you'd like to get into it makes here. For better, it makes for better conversation. Hopefully. I'm hitting the things that I think are salient uh, and interesting and because there's a lot. I mean, like kudos to the National Restaurant Association. This is a yeah. very, very thorough, substantive report. Uh, and members actually, right, have access to, to the trend yeah. support for free worthwhile for you and your business to do a deep dive. Can they access it through our website? Yes. Well, I'll add it to the the episode description, the show notes, so that people can access that. That'll impact that. tens of thousands, probably. I like it. And that's just a small portion of our listenership. Let's keep this train moving. All right. I think one thing that's interesting here that hit me on the... Uh, so we talked about cost increasing. Here's an interesting one. 20, 27% of operators, so a little more than one in four expect to be more profitable. So that's only one in four restaurants expect to be more profitable and 28% expect to be less profitable. So those numbers are about the same, but that's, that hits the challenge to me as well, right? Like you are, sales are up because, because your, your, your top line costs are higher. So you've raised, you've increased menu prices, but only about one in four expect to be more profitable than they were last year, right? We are now we're going to be into four years out from the pandemic, and we're still talking about only one in four being more profitable profitable than they were before, twenty eight percent less. That's 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 on the concerning side. Yeah, to same amount of people on complete different ends of the spectrum on that. Yeah. Does it say uh, which like certain segments of the industry? This does not break that down. Okay. I, I think that is, I mean, I, I, I would think the challenges still are, are harder when you don't have the economies of scale if you are a smaller independent, especially right. on the value side. If you're a smaller independent on the value side, that's really where the challenge is based on, you know, half of operators saying traffic's a challenge as well. So, I mean, this industry persists and continues to grow overall, but you can see beneath the data some of the challenges that still persist coming out. Uh, let's see a couple more here on the sales and economic side of the equation. Oh, this is this ties into our hotel members too, right? Mm. And our Pure Michigan push. About one in three dollars spent in restaurants cumulatively are coming from travelers and visitors. Oh, shocking! One in three. That is a lot. So that's not just that's just not tourism. That's also business travel, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But but that's a significant uh, that's a significant number, a big percentage of the industry. You can see the the connectivity. We talk about this a little bit with our interview with Brad Keen later. The the connectivity and why why a merger of restaurant lodging made sense and why there's uh, a lot of fusion there. There's some data to prove it. There you go. Okay, we're gonna hit to the operational trends section here. There's a lot of data here too. Can't hit it all, but some of these things are really interesting. And all right, ready? Yes. Full. Service customers are twice as likely overall to say that tech options at full service restaurants have a positive impact on their experience versus a negative one. Interesting, actually. So we think about tech a lot when we think about fast casual section like the Panera. Right. uh, And certainly in the quick service, McDonald's, et cetera, they have the apps. There's loyalty programs, which we'll talk about a little bit later, too, which are critical uh, punchline, by the way. Do a loyalty program, even yeah. if you're local, and, and specialize it and make it unique to your local guests. That comes 
screaming out of this data that you need to build that that lo- that loyalty and that clientele that wants to keep coming back, incentivize them to keep coming back. But you don't see it as much on the full service side. And when you when you hear guests saying that they're twice as likely to have a positive experience by you offering that and the full service, that's a big deal. And it it only gets and this is a this is a trend that everyone needs to know. Gen Z overwhelmingly into this space, All right? Like they are the generation that has come up exclusively in a digital world. Millennials like you, old millennials slash Gen X, right in the mix there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a little bit of analog and digital. There's there's a mix. Gen Z all digital. There should be no fear. There should be no reason not to go uh, all in and make investments in tech because it's it's going to be how your business is going to thrive or survive in the future. Fascinating. And a lot Such of such a difficult line to balance, but we've talked about that plenty. Yeah, but the Gen Z numbers suggest if that's who you're coming at, your 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 cohort that's growing, uh, and you're going to need to cater to, and you and and you're going to have for fifty years, sixty years as a customer. You better build. You better build that yeah. relationship now because they want. They want this. It's it screams through in the data. But they don't want to. Is it because they don't want to talk to another person too? Sometimes. I mean, you know, that's you tell me. I'm not Gen Z. Well, I mean, but you're. Here, let me let me show the difference. Those the positive impact numbers I said are 46 to 23 overall, so doubles up. But it goes from 19 percent for baby boomers. Right. Right to sixty four percent for Gen Z that believe it's a positive effect uh, to to have tech options at your full service restaurant. Mm. That's big. It's yeah. a big jump. The yeah. generational change, and millennials are right there in the Gen Z. So there you go. You're, they're they're in the same boat. Gen Z millennials want that option available. Gen X slips down dramatically, and then even more dramatically is the drop off to, to baby boomers. Which who, makes sense. Like just keep your tech out of my restaurant. Right. Right. Um, but that's obviously not your long-term investment right. group, right? You're, you're investing in Gen Z. So interesting there. All right. There's more here. Operational trends. Okay. Ready? Yes. Are you ready? <laughs> so ready. 70% of consumers, including 88% of Gen Z adults and 84% of millennials, said they would use an option that would allow table service customers to place their order in advance online, schedule a time to arrive at the restaurant and get their food shortly after they seat it, as opposed to the more traditional approach of going, thinking, deciding, and having a two and a half hour meal. They want in, they want out, they still want the experience, they want it. They want to dine in. How's that one hit you? Different. (laughs) In a good way, different or a bad way? That one, that's actually the first one that's genuinely surprised me. I, I personally am a, am would not like that. However, my fiance prefers to, for me to go to the dinner when we're going to dinner with people, order for him and he'll just show, like he wants in, he wants out. Short attention span though. Hmm. So uh, I guess I get it, but part of bringing people together at restaurants is is that experience. But I guess you just seek out what you know, that's the weird thing, that, right? We've talked a lot about the bifurcation of the industry. Either you're going to be in the convenience space, which would suggest that's where this data should, would be more comfortable is right. in, in hitting this, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to order my food ahead and either get it, if not delivered, but it's going to be picked up at, I always use Panera, but Panera or Chipotle or whatever. It's there. It's picked up. It's picked up. It's gone versus experience. And why would you want to expedite the experience? Why would you want to speed up, right? If you're going to a nice place where there is ambiance and you have a chance to enjoy that and, and have slow conversation, right? 
why try to expedite that and get in and get out? Uh, you know, you would think you have the convenience side that's not for sit down, but this yeah, it's, it's interesting. This, it's the sit down part that's tripping me up because if I'm going to do that, you know, I'll, I'll pop in and grab something to go. Or if I'm going to Panera, McAllister, something like that, I would order ahead just so I can grab it and and move on. But I wouldn't grab it and then sit down. I know. And to be clear, though, this is specifically a table service restaurant. This right. is, this, this, this makes clear this does not also incorporate fast casual. I'm going to ask a question here. How does that impact labor and tips and that whole model? Well, fascinating. I mean, the service is still there. The service right. is engaged. It just probably isn't as protracted. Mm-hmm. That tables, serve them, I like it. You're going to probably flip tables. Turn and burn, yeah. You're going to flip tables faster uh, in, in that scenario. Um, and if you're still operating at a mid to high price point, then that's that's going to be a great be a great night. Yeah. Wow. That, that was the most interesting thing you've said in my opinion so far. There's so much more. Wow. Okay. We'll try to speed through so this isn't a four-hour podcast. We already hit on the loyalty. I, I'm going to go past that. I want to get into workforce trends. They're really interesting here. And we've talked about, I know we've talked about in the past on, on here, right, that, that Michigan has struggled in comparison to others. There, there are more restaurant operators, and we eclipsed this, number, eclipsed this number early in 2023 working in this industry than uh, there were before the pandemic. But there are some almost two dozen states that are still operating with fewer employees than they were, Michigan being one of those. Right. Right. And, the, and, and really in the, the bottom 10 uh, in the country in terms of how far below we are from where we were before. So there's a, a dichotomy there. We are larger overall, which means some areas are growing like gangbusters. It's like Florida, Texas. Yeah, you're uh, saying nationally. Yeah, I'm saying nationally. We have, we have we have eclipsed. We have more total workers in the country working in this industry than we did pre-pandemic. But there are almost two dozen states that don't. So that is not an even distribution of growth or a return to normalcy uh, across all these states, which I find... I find really fascinating. And I think it's interesting. You, you asked about segments earlier that it's not equal in the segments either, that we are even nationally, we're, we're bigger overall, but we're 250,000 fewer employees in table service nationally than we are, than we are, than we were before. But about that same number above where we were, were before in the fast, casual, quick service. So that to me is data that fits the trend that we said that, that, convenience dramatically, food away from, right, off-premise food dramatically increased and hasn't hasn't gone back to the norm. Like it's it's scaled back obviously from when it was the only way you could eat at a restaurant, but we changed norms permanently in this industry and and it shows in the workforce. 250,000 fewer table service jobs, about that same number more in the fast casual quick service space. Yeah, that is interesting. So I find that fascinating. Fascinating. Not as fascinating as you do about ordering ahead, but I find that fascinating. All right. So some of the growth numbers going ahead, every single state, these are, these are uh, workforce projections over the next 10 years. How many more workers in our industry will we have? That number nationally is going to go from what we said is 15.7 million right now and expected for 2024 to about 16.9, 17 million total nationally. But there are wild variations. Just like we said, there are wild variations in terms of growth in the industry by state. And I got good news and bad news. Let's start with the bad. That sounds right. That (laughs) checks out. Michigan, of all the Great Lakes states, is expected to grow the slowest. Well. Over that time period. 
with no one shocked an by that. eight eight point nine percent increase in in the food service workforce between now and twenty thirty two, and so compared to let's say ten point three percent in Indiana, nine point six percent in Ohio. 9.3% in Wisconsin, 9.7% in Illinois, and in our in our in our cohort in our region, Minnesota leading the pack at 13.9% employment growth over that over that time period. So that's the region, but some of these are outliers, right? You want you want to hear some of the outliers on the positive side? You've got Georgia, 19.8%. Oh. Yeah. Florida, already large has been growing for several years, still 17.2% ex- uh, growth expected over the next 10 years. Is Georgia the highest? Uh, no. Nevada? Nevada? It's Nevada, right? Nevada. Yeah, I always yeah. hate it because I, I think it should be Nevada, but it's definitely, yeah, it's Nevada. Yeah, so I think so. Nevada, 20, 20.2%. North Carolina, 19.9%. That is oh, wow. a fast-growing state right now. Mm-hmm. And on the on the low end, Vermont six point three percent, Wyoming six point four percent. These are the ones trailing. Oh, and West Virginia six point four percent. So, okay, hmm. interesting growth trends. You think you take away the tip credit in Michigan, and that number drops even further? I think that I think it's hard to argue, at least in the short term, how you're you're not going to see a retraction. Right? We've said forty to sixty thousand employees. I think. I think for that number to grow, or so that policy, I believe, will have a negative impact, right? It will. Forty to 60,000 jobs lost. For that number to start growing in Michigan are events exogenous to this industry, right? Like the state has to actually grow population. It has to bring in more large employers and more total employees who make great money and want to spend that disposable income in this industry. And so some of these things are policy specific to this industry, I think for Michigan, it is a larger growth story that needs to be told and it's not happening. Yeah. At least not yet. Yeah. Agreed. All right. All these are fun and positive, aren't they? A couple of other quick ones on the workforce trends. We've talked about this before. Sixty for, Staffing shortages are impacting how the industry uh, operates. We've talked about this. We've said we've had Michigan stats on here before about the decrease in number of hour, operating hours and, uh, and operating days. I thought this one was interesting. 51% of full-service restaurants, this is national, not Michigan, are closed, straight up closed on days uh, that they used to be open. Oh. So picking a Sunday, day. Monday. Sunday, Monday. Probably Monday, the, the most obvious one. But 51%, that means open before, more than half full-service are, are just operating with fewer days. Total. You said before the pandemic? Yeah. Okay. All, all restaurants overall are operating with... 65% say that they're operating with reduced hours of operations on days that they are open. And that tracks fairly evenly across all segments of the industry. But the one outlier on, on just straight up closed, it used to be open for some segment of a day and just straight up isn't over half of full service restaurants. I think that's interesting. And you, we know this association's membership is made up on the restaurant side more by not just independents, but full service independents. Right. Um, yeah. Not exclusively. So you see that in our membership as well. So another interesting trend with data to back it up. Just putting, yeah, again, I already said this, but putting data to the general concepts that we've observed over the last couple of years. Uh, where is the shortage happening the most? And this is another outlier so the percent of operators who report having difficulties filling open positions, the one that stands out again, it's it's a full service. 
the full service sector trying to hire kitchen positions, your chefs, your cooks, uh, the 80%, 80% are, are what report having difficulties filling those open positions. If you are a full service restaurant and you're trying to hire a cook or a chef or a sous chef, uh, you are four out of five of you can't. Wow. That's a, that's a big number. That is uh, across all restaurants. That's two thirds. That's still a big number. 67%. Right. Cooks are dramatically the position that's the hardest to, to fill service positions are much lower right now that for full service, that's half 50, 50%, 50% front of house, 80% back of house, um, say they can't fill the open positions they're trying to fill. I think that's fascinating. And managers are still a challenge, but they're in the forties. Um, trying to fill a manager position, a challenge, but, but more in the forties. Those are all still very high numbers though. Yeah. Oh, these are huge numbers all the way across, uh, the industry. I just, if you are, if you are a full service restaurant trying to hire, uh, someone in the back of the house, the heart of the house struggling four out of five of you, that's it. That's a lot of data. That's it. That's it. <laughs> just I, that. Those are fascinating. I thought they were all worthy of conversation. Some of them just curious and interesting to talk about others. I don't know, just rough. And some of them just demonstrating what we talk about anecdotally around mm-hmm. here, that this industry has changed forever and how it operates and it's showing up uh, in the data. Yeah. And seeing the, the permanent fallout, I would say, going into 2024. Yes. This is what it is now. Okay. This mercifully concludes my segment. Why don't you hit us with some plaudits? Let's do it. Fahey Schultz Berzik Rhodes PLC is Michigan's premier attorneys for hospitality-related legal services. The depth and breadth of experience within their team enables them to serve as a one-stop resource for clients throughout the hospitality industry. Their diverse client portfolio includes national restaurant chains, regional restaurants, hotels, taverns, entertainment venues, golf courses, liquor stores, as well as breweries, distilleries, and wineries. They have the expertise to assist clients with corporate formation and structure, engaging new investors, assisting with local and state licensing matters, all aspects of liquor licensing and violations, real estate matters, including purchase transactions or leases, intellectual property protection, advising on and executing expansion opportunities through franchising or other growth vehicles, purchase and sale agreements, succession planning, and planning and executing exit strategies. Clients also benefit from the experience and insight of lawyers who practice across the full range of legal fields, which intersect with the hospitality industry. When day-to-day employment law issues emerge, their experienced labor and employment attorneys are there to counsel and provide strategic advice. When threatened by legal action, their litigation attorneys are prepared and ready to defend clients' interests. Their full-service approach makes their firm uniquely positioned to help hospitality clients of any size. So a couple things here, Traffic Jam and Snug, they they did a pop-up last weekend in Gross Point Park. Co-owner who we know very well, Carolyn Howard, Scott Lowell is her husband, co-owners. Scott is on our board. They Anyway, they held a pop-up last weekend at Sprout House Natural Foods Market, and they offered their spinach vegetarian lasagna, and uh, it went really well. I saw some good coverage in news articles and on social media on that. They have Traffic Jam and Snug, for those who maybe don't know, has been closed since May of 2022, since they had a pretty devastating fire. So it was nice to see Traffic Jam and Snug in the headlines again and something positive. Yeah, you got to give the people what they want and they want Traffic Jam and Snug and it shows up in social media. They they <laughs> they demand that restaurant reopen and it's it's on its pathway 
and we know obviously Sky Lowell and Carolyn, who is the heart of that that restaurant uh, as well. They're moving towards rebuilding out and opening that restaurant. It's a challenging space to to get back into operations uh, in a challenging location ba- based on where it is, not just that it's in the city of Detroit, but in a very old building. It's it's connected to some retail. For those who don't know, it's right next to the Shinola retail headquarters in, in Detroit, and it's in a, a great restaurant district, but there are a lot of challenges for them to take what was an, a, just an awful tragic fire and, and, and reimagine it. Um, but they are, they are committed to doing it and doing it in, a, in kind of a new and interesting big way. So I'm excited to see uh, when we get there, but this was a good tease in the meantime. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't believe that was almost two years ago already. Yeah. Wow. Okay, St. John's Resort, they are hosting a soulful dining five-course meal on uh, February 29th, Leap Day. We should close the office and I'll go to this. St. John's (laughs) Resort in Plymouth, they're hosting a special menu curated by a group of well-known Detroit and metro area black chefs. Um, The St. John's Soulful Dining Experience offers a menu prepared by flavors of Jamaica owner, flavors of Jamaica owner, Chef Billups will have sweet potato cheesecake, um, good cakes and bakes co-owner and pastry chef April Anderson, low country crab, and a whole host of other menu items. So tickets are on sale uh, for $150 each to participate in that experience. And they are going to be supporting uh, local charities as well. So wanted to give Paul Weger, obviously, manages that property, who is our chairman, who we talk about in our interview with Brad Keen. So I wanted to give them their plaudits as well. As well as uh, executive chef at the resort, Terrence Tarver. Oh, yeah. An amazing human being uh, and an even better chef. I am sure he will be integrated and involved in that process. And I'd be remiss if we didn't give Terrence a shout out because I love that guy. Yeah, good call. He's great. Last one on my list here, Crystal Mountain Resort. They name they were named a top honeymoon destination in the Midwest by The Knot, which is a premier wedding website. If you're not familiar, are you are you pitching them right now? Is this a, is this a like a, a request to like I, I'm getting married in June, Crystal Mountain? If you wanted to throw me a, a honeymoon right after, uh, I, I would accept that. You said it. I didn't. <laughs> we will be there a month after the wedding for our summer board meeting. So. Yeah, you should just turn the summer board meeting into your honeymoon. What an amazing time that would be. Let's move on to for fork's sake. <laughs> I'm ready to step up. I'm ready to step up. Hospitality business owners and managers, are your employees ready to step up to the next level? The Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan offers a 12-week hospitality business management certificate course that can give them the business and leadership skills they need to advance. Go to htim.com slash step up to learn more. Help employees step up for your business. All right, for fork's sake, we have some alliance news. The Alliance? Which alliance are you referring to? Uh, the Michigan and Hospitality and Tourism Alliance. Nice. Is Have you there, heard of it? Talk to me about the pledge and then tell me where people can go. So the Pure Michigan Pledge is a way that you can support the Alliance's first initiative, I guess you could call it. We are asking with 11 other organizations for $50 million in Pure Michigan funding in the upcoming fiscal year budget for 2025. And we have built out at the michiganalliance.org the ability for anyone who supports that 
mission and wants to add to that unified voice to take the Pure Michigan Pledge. And we will have a list of companies and people who agree with the $50 million ask on our website. So we had a lot of reach out over the last few weeks since we launched the Alliance asking how they can get involved. And this is the, the first step in that process. Absolutely. Sign the pledge, support the cause. All right. So some things have been happening the last couple of weeks. Short-term rental legislation was introduced in the House. Can you break that down for us? Do I have to? Yes. All right. Well, I don't love it. This, this issue continues to be the white whale that is so obvious that beyond even our scope, representing the industry and seeking you know, tax parity and proper proper understanding of who the market is in short-term rentals, right? That there should be a, a, a basic level of fairness. There's just a larger societal concern by the just the, the raw number of short-term rentals at this point in time. So we, as many people who listen to this know, we've been working on legislation since 2019, trying to get all groups engaged and on the same page to move something that can get 20 votes in the Senate, 56 votes in the House, and a signature of the governor whoever that governor is, whoever the legislature is, right? This doesn't cut just one political way either or. There are complications uh, across the board. So, and, and John McNamara, who'd been working on this for on our team as, as part of a, a coalition for the last year, had been working with the sponsor, didn't quite get where, where we wanted to be, but an introduction came all the same. So what, didn't, what was in, included in this 10-bill package? It would require all short-term rentals to pay a 5% lodging tax, with local municipalities allowed to levy an additional but optional 6%. So that's, that's the type of, type of parity we were looking for, but then went above and beyond. And actually, it seems, I don't want to use the word punitive, but you're getting to the point where it's excessive uh, and also granting some local taxation that just doesn't exist uh, in, in most of the state. Because there was no, they weren't paying any lodging tax before. Right. Short-term rentals. Correct. So parity is, and, and that taxation is a big part of it, right? Like right. that's that to make the, the cost of doing business, to make the engagement from that segment of the industry to be held to the same standard as, as hotels has always made sense and, and connects with legislators on both sides of the aisle. They get that. All right. It also allows local municipalities to create zones. Freeing communities to revoke short-term rental permits if necessary, regulate the number of units allowed to be used as a short-term rental, and also to protect public safety. Some of those things are good. Sure. We've also argued that they should be held to the same safety standards as as hotels as well. Prohibits the outright ban of short-term rentals under proposed zoning laws. That's something we've been uh, supportive of. In, in the past, uh, an outright ban is not, I think, the right way to go overall. We just got to find a way to create some parity and have them operating in the way that they are. Because, frankly, the vast and overwhelming and growing majority of these properties are, are business corporate-like in nature and usually, usually one of many owned by the same company. Mm-hmm. Okay. Enforce a statewide short-term rental, rental registry to assist with regulation and tax collection, also a top priority of ours. Something we've been asked for. But guess what? What? All of those positive things, some of them positive, some of them concerning, we're still opposed. Yeah. Why? So all of these things are, this is what we want. This is what we want. Why are we opposed? At the end of the day, all of this money generated is, is circling right back to the local municipalities, where we have argued for a long time that this specific policy 
should be used to finance Pure Michigan. Right now, all of these short-term rentals are, are benefiting from a Pure Michigan campaign that is driving people to go to Michigan to stay somewhere while they're here visiting and experiencing our state. Local CVBs are also advertising and marketing and, and they're expending resources generated from hotels and, and, and hotel tax revenue to draw people in, some of which are staying in short-term rentals and they're not paying into this process at all. Uh, it's hard and complicated to try to differentiate how to get that money directly to the CVBs. So we have advocated that let's put it all towards Pure Michigan. And if there's an, a reallocation formula that all the CVBs can get behind, we would support that. But the baseline argument that short-term rentals should be paying in, in, into advertising because they are benefiting from advertising. And that that is the baseline argument. It makes the most sense. It's it's the only pathway, frankly, to generate revenue on that side for this industry and because this is of this industry. I'm not going to argue that locals don't also need you know revenue to, to operate cities, villages, and townships. Of course, uh, there are many other avenues and options for local units of government to pursue those. Workforce, workforce shortages is also relevant to this industry, and there is a shortage. I could see a small percentage being relevant of this revenue going to support that because that would have a, a beneficial uh, that the impact would be beneficial to this industry. But again, there are several sources of of revenue for uh, housing right now, and it has been a policy darling, I think, across both sides of the aisle with a lot of money invested into finding solutions uh, in affordable housing, which we support and have been on coalitions moving some of that public policy. So all to the good. This is the one issue where really this money needs and should be going towards funding direct marketing for the industry because that's what it is. Yeah, pay to play. Uh, exactly right. So you, the tax parity is great. The registry is necessary to get that that um, that kind of tax parity and make sure you're actually uh, getting accurate information across the board of who you're collecting from. But that money should be redound to the marketing that is drawing those people here in the first place. And so that's where we continue to stand. And until until we have a, a more representative share, and that share should be well, well above 50% of total revenue generated, you're just not going to see us in support of this legislation. And all signs right now point to it, it's already dead on arrival after being introduced. So back to the drawing board. Yeah. Does that also prevent the, the back and forth of the Pure Michigan funding year over year? It helps support that? Well, it could, right? Like the, we've had this challenge, the alliance and the alliance, to be clear, the alliance is not the same as the association and the right. alliance is not asking for the specific request as it relates to short-term rentals. I think there are different policy positions across different organizations, but unanimously everyone in the alliance is, is asking for more Pure Michigan funding overall. Our argument is we have this battle over how much general fund should go to Pure Michigan every year and it's ugly. Why don't we find a stable source of revenue that is relevant to the industry to help finance Pure Michigan? And this, to me, is the most obvious way to accomplish that feat. That is an MRLA position. Right. Um, I think everyone would be appreciative of more money coming in as long as the as the parity was there, that, that no one is losing out on revenue they might otherwise get in their local jurisdictions. And I'm thinking of CVBs here. So that's the, that, that's the rub. But solutions are needed and it feels like we can't quite get this issue to to get the 5620 and uh and one necessary to get across the finish line we're going to keep working 
Uh, I do think it's necessary just as societally that we need to find a way to properly structure and regulate short-term rentals, not to, not to crush them, but, but to hold them to the same accountability standards that, yeah. that hotels are. And we'll get there, I think, eventually. Eventually. Yeah. We always do, right? We do have, I'll put it in the show notes as well, but we do have a way for listeners to contact their elected officials and let them know their stance on this topic um, as well. So that'll be in the show notes. Yep. All right. Last topic on the list is a new act, the closing closing the workforce gap act that was introduced at the beginning of February by U.S. Representative Alyssa Slotkin. Can you expand on what that is and how it impacts H2B visas in Michigan? Well, and in collaboration with Congressman Jack Bergman, right, our hospitality champion of Northern Michigan and a UP resident in his own right, this is this is this is a big move by Alyssa Slotkin and going out on a limb uh, to support this issue. So, so big appreciation and kudos deserved by by her for her closing the workforce gap act is it's it's adjusting our H two B visa program, and I would think that everyone listening to this podcast understands what the H-2B is, but a segment uh, of, of federal law that allows temporary visa employees to come in for a short period of time, uh, work often in this industry, but sometimes in others like agriculture, and then return to their home countries thereafter with the expense and responsibility all on the employers to make this happen. You know, Mackinac Island is the poster child in, in Michigan, but not the only place that that has a, a demand based on tourism that far outstrips its local population. So ability to supply workforce to meet the demand. Heavy in northern Michigan. Heavy in northern Michigan. And that's exactly what this is trying to do because the the, the punchline of of the act is, is basically creating a rural exemption for these locations so they don't fit into what a cap that is is very limited. And at this point, about we are looking the see the summer seasonal cap is still coming in at I believe thirty three thousand a year, and about one hundred and fifty thousand applications coming in for that summer season nationally. So every year, it is a terrifying proposition that you might not get the workforce you need to operate. And if you're on Mackinac Island and you know you've got just a few months to make an entire year's worth of revenue and profit, that that is a daunting position to be in each and every year. If you know you have a rural exemption and Mackinac Island would qualify. Uh, under the definition of this of this act as introduced, uh, you're not held to that same cap. So you can apply and you're not going, you're not you're not impacting that very limited cap that exists right now on those on those H two B visa opportunities. So that would be huge. Yeah. Huge for the state. We are are participating, we the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association with some national groups to push this issue and be as supportive as we can. Letters sent to the congressional delegation. And uh, want to be impactful as much as we can. You know, will be an issue we talk about when we are in D.C. in April for the National Restaurant Association's fly-in, and in September for the American Hotel and Lodging Association's fly-in uh, in D.C. Those will be big topics. They're so relevant to our membership in Michigan uh, travel and tourism. So we'll be on it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for breaking that down. Here to help. All right, I think that sums up our segments for the day. Unless you had anything else on your list that you wanted to surprise me with. No, we've covered a lot of ground. A so lot. I'm excited to get to our big guest today. Who do we got? Uh, Mr. Brad Keene, the Chief Operating Officer of Boyne Resorts. Legend. Excited to bring Brad on.
All right, Brad Keen, Chief Operating Officer of Boyne Resorts. Welcome to What's With the Pineapple podcast. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is going to be a lot of fun, I'm sure. Brad, in our universe, you're already the, the living legend who has done it all, and some might say twice, as a man who has become an officer four, two times, a full four-year tour times two. So a living legend amongst the halls here at the MRLA. But for anyone listening that does, is not, let's say, a board of, uh, member of our board of directors, who, describe your history, your, your, your long uh, career in this industry, because it's, it's a good one. And I, I, I want our listeners to understand your pathway. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brad <laughs> Keen, and I'm with Boyne Resorts. I started my career as a uh, 17-year-old high school student. I went to work at a restaurant and fell in love with food and of course uh, being a gentleman of my stature six foot five and a couple bills <laughs> i uh love to eat you look and great so i by really the way. wanted to love to cook oh thank you very much anyway i entered the hospitality industry then fell in love with it went away to school learned how to be a chef went to a cute resort up in northern michigan called point highlands resort back then did my internship there and uh, fell in love with the company, fell in love with the area, and uh, never left. And here I am 37 years later. I've had a few different positions with the company along my uh, my tenure. And uh, today, the chief operating officer of our full-season resorts in the east primarily. So I cover all of Michigan and a couple full-service resorts in Maine. And along the way, I joined the board of directors at the Michigan Restaurant Lodging Association. When I joined, it was called the Michigan Restaurant Association. And yeah, just like middle school, I did it twice. (laughs) Well said. I was your chair in 13 and 17, I think. 13 and 17, two full tours. Sometimes people will will be chair for two years, sometimes planned, oftentimes not. But no one, in my understanding, has ever been a a full officer taking all of the roles, treasurer and vice chair and chair and past chair, two full times. So we are, you're in rare air, my friend. Uh, One of the big things that we we did accomplish when you had brought up, you you started at the Restaurant Association. and, And by the time you concluded your service, with the board, you were leaving the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. I think your voice was integral in moving the merger to happen and this association representing a broader swath of hospitality. So you want to talk a little bit about your your thought process there and why maybe that's a a better case for all involved? You bet. You bet. There was a a handful of us that really felt strongly that uh, right, our, our company, the company that I worked for, we have equally as large of lodging footprint as we do as food and beverage, especially in the state of Michigan. So um, there's a handful of us on the board that really thought of the synergies between lodging and restaurant and really thought a merger would be the best case so we could have a larger voice in the state when you add up how much money is spent and generated in lodging revenue in the, in the state with food and beverage, with restaurants, we became a big voice. And I was very proud of the day that we actually were able to take that to the finish line. And then even prouder a few weeks ago when we had our chairman's dinner and we elected our new chair of the Michigan Restaurant Lodging Association. And it's the first time that we've had someone from the lodging sector leading the association. It's exactly what we said we were going to do five or six years ago. 
And it, it right just like me coming through the ranks at the association, our chair, Paul, needed to go through all of the different chairs of the association to get to where he is today. And he did it. And we have a bright future. Awesome. Perfectly well said. And, and I appreciate that. And I do. I think we are a better, broader association now than we, we were before. And the vision is being realized, right? Promises made, promises kept. And I think we still got a, we still got a long way to go, but I think we're, we're on, on a great path. And I appreciate your, your vision and, and, and allowing us to move in that direction. It made, it made sense then, and I think it makes even more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, great. All right. You are a, you are, you said uh, Boyne is an all seasons resort. True. I, I partake as often as I possibly can on the golf side of the equation, but we are in peak ski season still. So talk a little bit about what the importance of ski season is to Boyne and to Michigan overall, and, and try to put that into perspective. Well, skiing, skiing is a big part of our company. Um, and, and, and we rely on it. It's how we started 75 years ago. Right. Mr. Kircher, Ever Kircher started Boyne Mountain Resort with a couple of investors or buddies of his. And we've been skiing ever since. And it's a it's a big part of it. We love winter. We focus a lot on outdoor activities anyway. It was summer with golf and zip lining and mountain biking and all that. So but skiing is a very big part of our company for sure. Yeah, we were doing some research for this interview and each year Michigan welcomes Two to 2.4 million skiers to visit slopes in Michigan. So that's a it's a lot of tourism action. But I don't want to spend you know the whole time talking about this. But we're sitting on February 22nd right now, and I think the high in Lansing is 60 degrees. So can you tell us a little bit about how you know skiing is a big part of what you do, but how the mild season has impacted your operations and how do you how do you look ahead at the summer look thinking about that and the resiliency within that you bet so so it's no secret november and december were really tough in the ski business wasn't a lot of snow there wasn't a lot of cold temperatures we were able to thank goodness for snowmaking we were able to open like a lot of people were and we were able to get through the holidays not with a lot of terrain we did have all of our hotels were full and we had a few skiers and and it went just fine. And, and then after the first of the year, we were able to get cold temps and, and some natural snow. And now both of our resorts are, are both 100% open. The skiing conditions, skiing and riding conditions are fantastic. Although you wouldn't know by if you're in Lansing, Michigan right now because there isn't any snow down there. I understand that. It's warm up here, too. It's going to cool down again tomorrow. Every opportunity we get, we make more snow. We made snow up until two nights ago. We just keep refreshing it, and the conditions are great. Can you tell us a little bit more about the the science and the art around snowmaking? Because <laughs> it is so interesting. And the first fan <laughs> snowmaking gun was founded at the Highlands. It was. It was. And you're asking a food guy or a hospitality guy about the art and <laughs> science. Us, give of, us the engineering of, uh, of side of this film. equation. So so, so I, I, yeah, I'm going to put it into a recipe for you. It's a lot easier <laughs> for me to do that. It's, it's all about ingredients, right? So the ingredients in making snow would be like compressed air, water, and wet bulb temperature. So if we can have 80 to 100 PSI of compressed air, 200 pounds of water, in a wet bulb temperature outside of 28 degrees or less, we can make snow. The colder it is, uh, the less air we need to push through, but the more snow we can make. 
So it's just it's really just that easy. The science or the, or the engineering behind behind making snow is making those water droplets as small as possible, so they get pushed through these little nuclei, these heads on a on a snow gun, and they throw the the water droplets out, give them a little hang time. They crystallize and turn into snow and fall, and then we all get to ski out of. Just that simple. Is there anything you don't know or can't do, Brad Keen? I was impressed with that response. <laughs> that was a full engineer's response. That was not culinary, my friend. That was good. It'll also yeah, be the well, last question I, uh, I ask. I, uh, <laughs> we, ha- we, have, we have a lot of very, very smart people that work in our company and in our industry that have helped me along the way when I left the kitchen and, and took on a job at running a resort um, to need to understand it. And, and they taught me well. Well, let me pivot to something I know is uh, a passion of yours and long been in your wheelhouse. The Pure Michigan campaign, Pure Michigan funding, something this association has been pretty aggressive with recently, helping to found the Michigan Hospitality and Tourism Alliance, unifying this voice, right? We M- Michigan Snow Sports Association with Mickey McWilliams, who helped provide some of the data, by the way, shout out to Mickey, is a part of that alliance. Talk a little bit about Pure Michigan from your perspective, the impact it has on on the resort and and to Michigan travel and tourism overall. Well, first of all, I I think what what needs to be said first is that we all greatly appreciate the MRLA's efforts in advocating for the growth and the maintenance of the Pure Michigan funding. There's our leading. I've had the the honor to be able to testify uh, down in Lansing to seek funding over the years. And it's I, I believe it's paid dividends that, you know, the campaign undoubtedly generated so much awareness and revenue and tax revenue to our to our great state. I'm honored to be able to travel for, with our company and I and I travel to a lot of states and I have yet to go to a state that doesn't say, gosh, I saw a pure Michigan ad. And how much fun is that? What a beautiful state you live in. And it's and it's really all because of that. We've all benefited benefited from the campaign. You know, up, up here, we have uh, 11 golf courses, a new short course that's going to open late summer at the Highlands. And we rely, we rely heavily on, on the traffic that's generated through, through Pure Michigan. Yeah, I think back 10, 15 years ago, I think 10 or 50% of our golfers came from out of state. Last summer, 45% of our golfers visiting were from out of Michigan. Wow. Yeah, I think we hosted customers last summer from 48 states and uh, Canada and other countries. So is it, is, is it beneficial to us as, a, as an industry? Absolutely. Yeah, you're right about, we hear it at conferences we go to in our world that people are very jealous of the Pure Michigan campaign because it is so well done. So have yeah, you, you yeah. talked a little bit about, you know, percentages, but what differences do you see in your business and operations over the years as the funding kind of goes back and forth to being well-funded versus, you know, the low end of 15 million, which is what we're looking at going into this year currently. Do you, can you feel those differences year, year over year? Yeah. Yeah. We, we feel it. We can see it for quite a few years. We've followed the pure Michigan or travel Michigan um, into states and regions where, where the pure Michigan ads were running and then we would take our own marketing dollars and we would, and we would chase that campaign with our own campaign. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have any hard stats on the impacts of, uh, of the operations, but we, I, I see it. I see that the scale back pure Michigan campaign you know, impacts 
tourism. I, I, I see it where I live. I see it. Um, I, I hear it from, from other people. Well, I'll tell you where I see it. You know, we, I, I see it in the level of investment we're seeing across all your properties, but the Highlands right now, which by the way, the updates spread are just amazing. I, my last stay there was fantastic. I've always loved the property. The updates to the, the, the hotel and the main lodge are, are exquisite. Kudos to you and your team, because I know that you were very challenged with a pretty rough fire uh, a couple of years ago. But yeah. that level of investment yeah. isn't coming if we're relying only on Michigan tourism o- overall. People from within Michigan coming and staying within Michigan. You said 48 states. That gives you the confidence to make a pretty big investment, right? And that's that's to yeah. our, our our the benefit of our of our entire economy here in Michigan and jobs provided. So I see it that way and clearly and makes me want to keep coming back up to Highlands more and more. Well, thank you. We, uh, we, Steve, our, our Steve Kircher, which is second gen, right of our company. He has done a great job of raising capital and investing capital in all of our resorts. Boyne Mountain, you saw the Skybridge, Michigan, which is our, our, I say our latest and greatest summer attraction, but it's a year round attraction. We've put three new lifts and, and surface lifts in at Boyne Mountain over the past couple of years. A new lift at the Highlands last summer opened in the fall, a new surface lift at the Highlands, right? And we'll probably announce at some point there may be another chairlift going in at the Highlands. No. Breaking news. His investment, Teaser. His investment into into our resorts is um, really exciting. And yeah, I agree. It's we need we need all the customers and all the tourism dollars to be able to generate more customers for everyone in the in the industry. I feel like have you already recouped the total investment for Skybridge? The the amount of demand on that on that seems to be insanely <laughs> high, and I'm sure it was not a cheap build out, but certainly a vision that was worth it. Uh, the ROI feels like it's already there. Yeah, it 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 was an instant success. Obviously, the fall is when it's the most popular. It, if you haven't walked on on that bridge in the in the fall and looked at the colors, it's pretty spectacular. But we have a lot in in December when the when we we didn't have a lot of snow and there wasn't a lot of things that cross country skiing was non right there no one was cross country skiing for sure. We had a lot of traffic on on the sky bridge then as well. So speaking of the Highlands, last year your director of resort accommodations at the Highlands, I believe Mandy Gray, she won MRLA Star of the Industry Award. She won the Women in Hospitality Leadership Award. And we recently did a post about her and an, an interview with her, which was really great. And correct me if I'm wrong, but she's been with your company since she was a teenager, correct? And has has grown within her career. Yeah, there. just like you. Yeah. yeah, as a high schooler, as a high schooler, yeah, exactly. She's been with us a long time. So not that long, because she because she's not that old. I don't want to call her <laughs> old. So you know, you you started there and stayed there. Mandy started there and stayed there. What is the approach, either your approach or you know, at the resort operations overall, to cultivating such dedicated and passionate teams to to have that workforce, you know, stick around? We have a lot of people in our company that have spent a lot of time working for our company. I think when you when you go around the industry, you'll see that there's that happens a lot of places. When you identify someone young or old that has a passion for hospitality, a real passion for working with loves to work with others, loves to put a smile on a guest face, wants to go to the nth degree to make that 
that guests feel special to make sure their vacation is perfect to make sure they're whatever it is you got to build a fence around those people you really need to protect them and mandy was you know one of those people that we identified a long time ago that she had this this can-do attitude this this passion for for people and 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 she loved the company and she loves the sports that we that we do right she loves the skiing it was it was natural for us to 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 nurture her and bring her along and that that woman has never said no to anything i've ever asked other than you heard the the trapping of raccoon <laughs> story but the she she you don't, you uh, don't want to you don't want to recant that one again uh, for for our <laughs> listeners but no, she no. did save the no, raccoons I, I don't think I should. <laughs> you know, she, she she certainly did and saved many many more after that um but but she when i ran food and beverage for the company i would i would be in seattle and i'd eat something at a at a at a restaurant and think gosh i wonder if we could replicate that at the highlands in the cafeteria and she was a cafeteria manager at the time and i'd send her a text and say hey i just uh, was in a place and i had a poke bowl and you know 10 years ago 15 years ago and do you think you could pull that off? And she said, well, I'm going to Google it because I don't know what you're talking about. And let me see what I can do. And, and I get back to Michigan and go to the Highlands on a Saturday and at lunch. And sure enough, there'd be a, a poke bowl for sale there. And, and no matter what it was, she would reproduce it. And, and she's done such a great job in our company. She's grown in our company from a teenager to she runs lodging for, for the resort and does a great job. Well, Boyne is the best at at retaining and keeping real talent. You, of course, top of that list, Brad. But I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about our own talent cultivation uh, platform here, right? Our Pro Start program. And the big statewide competition is coming up here in early March in Kalamazoo this year. Record number. We will have over 400 people, students, competing uh, this year. Record numbers for us. It really is. It's uh, We are going to be maxing out that Radisson in downtown Kalamazoo this year. But a high school teacher played a big role in, in you going and, and pursuing a, a career and, and going to culinary school. So, And you've been in, engaged in, in our ProStar program from the beginning to a big degree. So what advice do you have to students? Because I'm sure they're all listening. I, I assume 6,000 ProStar students. They love the podcast. It's our biggest in. demo. Yeah, it's a huge demo. We're, we're, we're huge in the 15 to 18 range. Um, but Part what, of the lesson plan for ProStar is listening weekly. What advice do you have to students, though, uh, starting their careers out? Well, as, as you know, I've been very vocal about ProStar for my whole career. And, and it was a ProStar that I started, and it was vocational food service. Mm. And my instructor, Joyce, I've... You know, I've sang her praises from the top of every mountain because she she identified with me that, you know, son of a gun, Brad, you really have a passion for this. And you should you should go you should go to school and learn how to be a chef. And you shouldn't just go to any school. You should go to the Culinary Institute and really pushed me in that direction. And I I, I can't say enough about CTE or Pro Start and and what that does. And, and I, I really think. If you have a passion for people, if you have a passion for arts, if you like food, if you like the hospitality industry, and you're a student in high school, you should absolutely seek out ProStart. What and and watching watching being a, being a judge at ProStart and watching these talented kids 
and what they're pulling off and, and seeing the instructors, right? And and many Joyce McCoys around the around the globe that are that have dedicated their life to the industry to our industry, bringing people through through high school to enter our industry is uh, I I just can't speak highly more highly about it. That's for sure. Well said. Yeah, we often say that that the pros are competition specifically, but the program overall, you just don't get it until you see it, until you attend one of those competitions and see hundreds of students and what they've worked on all year and the teamwork and passion. I always get choked up every year. At some point, I'll just be walking across the floor and it's it's an overwhelming passion for Michigan's hospitality. So well said. It sure is. All right, let's get BK out of here on a lightning round. Are you ready, Brad, for the lightning round? I, I think so. Yeah. Hit me. <laughs> that was a reluctant yes. <laughs> Take a moment. Get yourself ready. <laughs> he just doesn't want the interview to end. We're having so much fun. All right, Emily, hit him. What do you got? All right. What is the last song that you listened to? That I listened to probably today, uh, Beautiful Day U2. Now, the last song I sang, mm. I sang my wife a song this morning because she's going to put our house up for sale. We're going to move again. And that's what she does. It's her hobby. <laughs> I rehabs houses and then sells them. And so we move a lot. So I sing. <laughs> I have a rendition of the old Julio Iglesias song of all the girls to all the girls I've loved before. And I sing mine to all the homes I've loved before. <laughs> Why don't you break it down for us? And, and, and <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the platform right time. now. If, if only there were more time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It is lightning yeah, exactly. round after all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What is the... Okay, l- I'll be quicker for the rest of them. <laughs> no, no. Keep, I promise. That's a good answer. That's a great answer. What is the last show that you streamed? Chef's Table. Nice. Very on brand. Both of you? Solo watch? You and Wendy both? Uh, yeah, we, well, we will, we'll watch it together. But sometimes I have to stop watching it because I, I get stressed out. It reminds <laughs> me of being on the line and the pressure. and Right? So... The bear was another one that I, you know, I, I watch and then I, my blood pressure would rise and I yeah. just stop watching it for a while. But yeah, we watch all that stuff together. Don't watch that Christmas episode more than once. You just, you can't take it. No, <laughs> no one's heart can take that. Excellent. All right. Favorite tourism destination in Michigan, not owned by Boyne. Oh, <laughs> I was ready for that one. <laughs> Pictured rocks. Ooh. Very okay. nice. Okay. Great place to be. And if, My you have, and if you haven't been, you should. It's beautiful. We love the The Winslows love the National Lakeshore and spend quite a bit of time. Love it. Great answer. Yeah. All right. I think I already know the answer to this last one, but do you have a go-to cocktail of choice, Mr. Keene? Well, it's not Zima. <laughs> no, it's not. How about a Woodford Old Fashioned on the rocks? Oh, and I right. like the gravel. I'm not a big single great big ice cube guy. I like it on a little gravel ice. On gravel. Hmm. Yeah. Good way to go. Once upon a time, the official drink of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. I thought it still was. <laughs> <laughs> Once and forever. Okay. On that note, thank you for your time. Thank you for everything you've done for this industry and for uh, what you've meant to this association. And thanks for being a guest on What's With the Pineapple Pod, Brad Keene. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate you guys inviting me to do this. I've watched from afar and listened from afar, and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. 